Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Peaking Into Success podcast. We are on episode 28. Today we have on a man who has done it all in the footballing world. He has been a player, he's been a coach and he's been a manager. All in England as well as some teams abroad. So today we have on John Yems. The Bless is open every day from 12pm serving a wide range of beers, ciders, real ales and spirits. Their kitchen also provides handmade pizzas, loaded nachos, chicken strips and ice cream from 5.50 to 10.30 Monday to Thursday and 12pm to 10.30pm Friday, Saturday and Sunday. The pub quiz is very popular with anyone that enjoys a good beer and a bit of a laugh with their mates. Taking place every Wednesday at 9pm, there's loads of prizes to be won, including £50 drinks vouchers for the winners and a bottle of wine for the best team name. Everyone's a winner. They also have a spacious function room available to hire that can hold up to 100 people. Wow, that's a lot. Perfect for birthday parties work events, weddings and wakes. The Bless really comes to life at the weekends with their branded nights of stone love and fully loaded where the DJs play alternative, indie and rock music spanning the generations until the early hours of 2am. There really is something for everyone in what is arguably Derby's best pub. Right, hello John, how are we today? Uh, I'm absolutely fantastic, thank you. Nice day for a change, so uh, let's make the most of it. Oh, exactly. Hopefully you're going out and experiencing the weather later on. Yeah, it's nice. I'm sitting in my garden at the minute talking to you, so oh, brilliant! at the sun. That's good <laughs> to hear. <laughs> so if people didn't know who you are, how would you sum up? John Yems in a nutshell for people. Um, I'd like to think I've been lucky in my life, football-wise. I've been lucky to be coached and uh, round the world. You know, I had some great times out in the Middle East back in the day. Um, coached a little bit in India. Uh, Australia was good, and just enjoy football. You know, you, you used to be called football people. Um, which is all I'm concerned about is best team, best players, best this, best everything else. But you must enjoy it. You know, I think there's too much seriousness now. Uh, for me, if you give me the opportunity, the same as most people, to even attempt to play again, I'd bite your arm off. You know, because it was a great, great game. Of, it's a world game football, and I think sometimes you've got to sit back sometimes and just appreciate whatever level you're playing at. Just enjoy it. No, 100%. And I mean, we'll get on to speak about your football career and your managerial career as well. So, I mean, you've kind of summed yourself up nicely of just a man that's been around the football scene all of his life and gained a wealth of experience on and off the pitch. So... Do you want to explain kind of where your footballing career started and kind of how you got the opportunity, how you got into playing football? Yeah, when I was a kid, we lived in a council estate in South London. Um, and was born in Stockport. So, you know, everybody, everybody, when we was growing up on the, on the flats, played football, um, football or boxing. So, you know, it, it was good from a very, very early age. Um, played for my church team, which was St Matthew's in West Norwood in London. Um, very diverse area, as you can imagine, you know, near Brixton, West Norwood, all them sort of areas. But as kids, you didn't realise what, you know, kids just want to play, don't they? You just want to put a football down and kick it. <laughs> and um, there were some good players with us, and we were lucky that very influential person for me was a, a player called John Boyle, who played for Chelsea at the yeah. time um, and they used to come and train the, the team that we had um, him and a fellow who came down who passed away not long ago Chris Garland who was from Bristol City uh, Johnny Ollins who passed away it's funny how the world turns because John like I say 
as a kid, he, he used to help us out, and I wound up working with John as assistant manager with him. Um, as the years, you know, later on in the years, and when I was at Fulham, and I used to come to help us. And no, you know, the, the, these it, it was what pros had to do then. You know, I'm not saying that there, there's some good lads out there that still do it, but these were these were Chelsea players that was playing in the first team. Yeah. Won won the European Cup winners' cup, um, and then they are training us. And you know, John Boyle was fantastic with us, real good coach, and you, you just I think. Back in the day, everybody, every team that there was, you, you wanted to be someone. You know, you had a team, you know, from Derby County to Bleeding, uh, Man United. E- everyone had players that you'd want to watch. Um, and and it, it was a good time, good time to play football. Because like I say, two coats down, out in the streets or on the, on the grass, there you are playing football. And of course, kind of, you mentioned about kicking the ball and kind of having them kind of strong Chelsea ties to kind of better your game. So kind of who was your kind of influence into the football game? Was it kind of parents or was it kind of just being around on the street and playing the game and you kind of just got inspired by older people that were playing? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, well, that definitely wasn't me, 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 me parents, you know, that's another story. <laughs> but... Um, but no, like I say, it was your mates as well. You know, everybody played it, and obviously, I was always playing up up with a lot, lot of older boys at the time uh, because uh, it, it was people wanted to pick you. It was one of them, you know. You test yourself as high as you can go, and of course, as you're mixing with the older lads, you're suddenly growing up yourself, aren't you? Good or bad? School, you know, school we was playing. Um, and it was good, you know, you represent your district, you know, you had South London, who was us. And it was an achievement then, you know, you represent South London, West London, East London. And, and you know, they, they all had pro players, you know, or should I say players that went on to play pro football. So to get selected for that when you school, it was a big thing in London, you know, because I went to the biggest Catholic school at the time in London, Bishop Thomas Grant in Stratton. Um, and uh, it, we used to go, you know, we had, we had a really, really good time. And there was a teacher there called Mr. Brian, Barry Brian was a, our football teacher. Really, they, they were at the time when the PE teachers used to stay after school to help you and to, you know, to coach you and what have you. Um, but I think a lot of the time the game was the coach. The game was the thing that you wanted to do, you know. And obviously, as the higher you got and the more you played, the better you wanted to become. Um, and, and test yourself. It's the same now. Whatever level you do, you know, be the best at whatever level you can be, whether it's Sunday football or, or whether you play for Arsenal. You be the best. Be the best you can be. 100%. And I mean, you went on to play for Crystal Palace, Reading and Millwall. So kind of, what were your experiences there? At, at that yeah. time when you were playing, did you feel like, yeah, I want to progress further with these teams or kind of, was it like, you, were you always trying to strive forward? Because of course, I know you were young when you were playing for all of these teams. Yeah, well, I think what, what it was, there was quite a few London sides that I could have gone and Chelsea was one of them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a kid, I couldn't stand Chelsea because <laughs> a lot of my mates was Chelsea supporters. I used to go and watch Palace regular and Millwall regular you know my uncle used to take me up to Millwall because we lived not far we was in between the two but Palace was the side that I used to go to and Malcolm Allison who was the manager up there then was a massive influence on on people at the time you know such a good coach Malcolm and uh, you know if anyone that aspires to be a coach or a manager uh, more on the coaching side with Malcolm he was just years years in front of, of people and you had, you know, he was the one that, you know, bought out Terry Venables and, and George Graham. He got all them involved in coaching. And Malcolm, you know, just, just to be in his presence was, you know, for me anyway, it was just like sitting there and you're just sitting there open mouth, both on and off the pitch. And that's what made me, you know, obviously stick and train with Palace. Um, um, but as I say, I had a, a terrible injury. Uh, which put, uh, you know, put the spokes, put the spanner in the works there because I went out to Reading on loan 
before that. And I played a couple of, you know, reserve games and that then. But Reading, it, it sounds stupid now, but Reading ain't far from London. But at the time, you seemed bleeding miles away. <laughs> and uh, used to play at the old Elm Park and everything, which was good. But like I say, I had this injury, um, with, which I was out, oh, must have been a good 18, nearly two years, I think. And um, I was so lucky that the old, there was the coach at the time at Crystal Palace when I was first there as a kid. George Petchy was then the manager of Millwall with a fellow called Terry Long. Um, and George, like, out of the goodness of his heart, said, come to Millwall, come and have a great time up there. I had six months up there with him. Um, I had the great opportunity, I think, to get a contract, but I, I knew in the art that I just wasn't, it wasn't me anymore. I'd lost that, lost that art of the yard in the head. And, you know, it, it, that's the time then when it just, you know, this is not me. Um, and I had me, me 10 years, 20 years, 15 years in the wilderness, just travelling the world and playing all around the place then. I was lucky, but good times. But, you know, you can't, the thing is with an injury or, or something that cows tells you, it's nothing worse than that. And it's the way you react to it. It's, it's you know, who knows what could have been. So, so of course... You got the injury quite young on, so was the plan always of if I can't play on the actual pitch, was it always, oh, I want to be around football after that? So was it always a plan of going into coaching or kind of did you have a few years out and then find coaching? Yeah, well, what I've done, I, I, was, I was lucky that, you know, a good friend, family of mine, I got, uh, had a big roofing company at the time, Ashville so for years, you know, even when I was at school, I used to help them out. Um, and I was sort of like combining, going to work with playing uh, non-league football. And I had a little spell with Dulwich Hamlet and that. And a lot of my mates we had was playing Saturdays and Sundays, which was good and it was enjoyable. But you start then, when it's not your livelihood, it's very difficult, you know. You go on the wild side, you grow up, don't you? You know, you start discovering nightclubs and booze and things like that which was great don't get me wrong but I was so lucky that I could travel as well I was offered things to go overseas and I was over there and I didn't really take it seriously you know for about eight years I was lucky that I was having all these sort of like different opportunities to do things in the Middle East and everything and when I was in Egypt I started getting involved in the country and uh not only playing, but, you know, playing yourself five-sides and, you know, friendly 11-side games. And I was lucky to get involved coaching some of the, the you know, the younger Egyptian boys. Okay. Um, it was funny because the language, he couldn't understand you, you know, <laughs> obviously English. But it's funny, as soon as you get football out, everybody was enjoying it. Um, and the parents would love it. You know, you're, you're looking in a place in Cairo where I was. And I think it was all tied in with a team called uh, Somali, okay. where we was living. And um, uh, oh, it was just great times, you know, football and, the, and Egyptian lads and everybody that we used to join in with, everybody just loved the football session. And I started getting a little bit, you know, because it's different playing that level than what it was playing full time. And then I went to Australia from there and, and played a little bit over there. And, that's when I started looking on the coaching side. I thought, you know what, I like this coaching. There's nothing better, like I say, the Middle East was good. Because you could see these kids that you, you couldn't really speak the language, but you could show the football and do the football. And it was good to see all the young ones running around. And then you get to the senior sides, you know, where you're out with the lads. And, and you begin to know the little bits and pieces language-wise to get you. Because football was your language. Yeah, 100%. And it was... Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. Everybody, you know, football's the greatest game in the world, I think, at the time, to bring everybody together. You know, I'm talking about the 80s now, you know. Sort of sound like an old kid. But it was a good time to be around the world because, you know, for me, because you're young, you've got no fear, have you? You know, you just want to travel, play, do what you got to do. And I really enjoyed my time out there. No, I mean, as well, for a lot of people that come into management or coaching they kind of just they retire but they're already doing their badges where you've kind of had a different way in so do you feel like your coaching and managerial style was different to other people at the time because of course you spent that time 
in Egypt and other places before coming to England to coach and to manage? Yeah, well, you know, as I keep saying, and even more apparent nowadays as well, football, it hasn't changed. The game hasn't changed. You've got to score more goals than the opposition. How you play and how what you do to achieve that. Is you know that's up to whoever's coaching style-wise and playing-wise and this, that, the other. But there's nothing better than going out coaching and seeing some some people improve, which is what it's all about, in my opinion. A coach is there to improve people, you know, whether whether that's um, individually and and then you get into the team scenarios where you're being judged. But when you can actually just go out and enjoy and see the you know, like I say to you, when we was in Egypt, and you see that you know the young lads, and the lad, it's very difficult to explain how much the game become the teacher, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then when you come back to the UK, you'd like to think I was so lucky to get back involved when I did come back from Australia, and um, it, it, it just, I, I don't know whether it was a desire, I think being injured, it gives you that little bit of an edge going, you know what, you appreciate the opportunities more once you once you got back in, and you didn't want to leave the game anymore, and you didn't want, you know, you just wanted to bring all your experience, good or bad, and uh, you, you learn from it, every game, every training session, you should learn something, and uh, you try and pass that message on, and, you know, you'd like to think that you get results out of it. No, 100%. And I mean, you came over to England and you've, I mean, you've had two stints at Crawley. You're involved with kind of, I call it the Bournemouth revival with getting them up to kind of where they are now. You were in the process of the early stages of that. So kind of how was it coming back to England and being around kind of the system of, of course, managing Crawley and being involved in Bournemouth and other setups in England? Yeah, well, I came back, I came back, and in 1990, that's how long ago it was, I was so lucky to get a job at Fulham Football Club. Um, and there was a fellow there called Tom Ennifer, who was on the commercial side. And they was looking at the time for a community stroke um, commercial, for want of a better word, coaching. Yeah. So I met Tom and uh, Ray Lewington was there then and Terry Bullivant, who were great, great people. And um, yeah, I was lucky to get the job and just work my way up in there. You know, we was doing all, all these sort of like inner London stuff, coaching-wise, because obviously coming from London, you know, you, you like to think coming up a council estate and, and mixing with all different people. That you was used to that, and, and it was such a it was such a good environment at Fulham at the time. We was in the it would have been the old equivalent now of first division. Okay. Um, so yeah, and then I wound up five years. I was there full time. Wound up with you know Ray. We was doing the first team uh, in the end of it, and uh, it was really really good to learn from it. And and you know Ray's a great coach to learn off at the time, but. We was all young lads then, and some of the players had come through and, and what have you. And I went before Fulham had the money. It was good, but you had to then go out and, and, and experience it as a coach. You had to go out and do your time. And, uh, you know, we used to have reserve games, and you come to Fulham ground, like the Craven Cottage, and there used to be all sorts of top managers there, you know, Harry Redknapp, when he was managing, and, you know, Terry Venables, all these sort of people all used to come down and watch the game. And it was like the London atmosphere. He was all in it together. And I'm sitting there as the youngest out of everybody, sitting there learning and earning with my eyes wide open, thinking, you know, God, blimey, you know, these are sort of Bobby Robson and all these. If you can't learn off of these people, just listening to them, talking football. Um, and, and I think a lot of coaching, you know, sometimes they get a little bit frightened of admitting that, you know, you can talk to people and listen to football. You know, everybody's got opinions about football, but sit and listen sometimes, you know. As soon as you shut your ears, I think you stop learning. And, oh, you know, I never do. Sometimes there'd be depth from it. <laughs> but, you know, that's what you do. That's how you learn. You only learn for other people, don't you? No, 100%. And, I mean, your kind of percentage rates as a manager are better than some as I've, I've compared you to a few kind of in the divisions where you were and it's a good it's a good rate win and draw like compared to them now so I mean 
yeah. it shows that even your last managerial campaign, it's still good. as good to kind of, you can jump straight back in. Well, you'd like to think so. You know, when we, when we was, a, you know, I was lucky that after um, Fulham, I, I spent, I think it was about eight years, I'm not sure, seven, eight years at the academy at Millwall. Because I went, I was out in America as well, I was coaching over there for two years. Um, and, and you know, but I've been going there on and out for quite a while. But I was over there in Sarasota coaching for quite a while, um, and came back. I was lucky to get the job at Millwall in the academy. And what you know, Millwall is it, it, such a good club. It's such a good football club, um, especially for the youths. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're the sort of clubs that you can feel at home with because you're part of where they're from. You're part of the area. Yeah. And there's nothing better than going into a coaching session or, or, you know, the kids don't change. You know, we've all got problems. Everybody's got problems. But as soon as you get on that football pitch, your problems go out the window. You know, it's very hard to try and not become a social worker. You're there as a football coach that you hope you build up relationships with people that help them both as a person and as a footballer. And at Millwall... We had to produce players, and you know they've always produced players over the years. And Crystal Palace, and you know a lot, a lot of these sides, you know London sides, there's always been players coming through. So it's not just the money they're spending on academies and that. Now you go back to the day, like I say, I remember watching when Crystal Palace first got promoted, 19, I think 69. Uh, they got promoted with a side. I asked you this the other week, didn't I? Do you remember the side who got promoted with them? I can't know. I remember you talking to me on the phone about Derby County. Derby, yeah. <laughs> when Mr. Clough was the manager, you know, that, and, and you see them and, and Palace and, and Derby and everybody, you know, I remember watching um, uh, Alan Inton and, and people like that and I used to wear the white boots and, you know, it was a great time to be around Palace, you know, you turn up there in 1969, 70 and then they are playing Man United with George Best and Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law and all these great, great, great people that you could watch that season at Palace. You watch so many good players from every club, you know, every club that they played against. I, you know, you, I remember, you know, when Tottenham first come down with Jimmy Greaves, you know, Alan Gilzean, and like, I remember first watching Stevie Perriman, who I was lucky to be at Exeter with, you know, back, as the years went on. But every team, and you, you sit and you learn off of them, you look at them and you think, I want to be like that. What makes them tick? What makes them do this? You know, look at the way they do this, look at the way they do that. Don't think that what kids do today is that they lock them see it on the telly. Whereas we didn't have to, when we was growing up watching football, you had to go there, you had to go to the grounds. Because it wasn't on the telly as much as it was now. And I think that was a learning curve because you also... Look what other people are thinking, good or bad, swearing and singing and shouting. It was a whole atmosphere then, wasn't it? No, it was. And I mean, it's unfortunate that people nowadays, because of course, like the price of how much a season ticket is, or they can't be bothered to go, if they can just turn on the TV, they don't get the kind of engagement and the kind of understanding around it. If you watch it at your house, you get distracted by other people having to do something going on your phone so people don't kind of engage with football how they would have back then and I feel like people just get distracted and don't kind of pay attention to the finer details. No, I totally agree. I totally agree with you and I think there's nothing better than experiencing going and seeing it live, you know. If someone used to say to you, you know, George Best was a good player, how do I know Dennis Law was a good player? How do I know Bobby Charlton? How do I know Peter Osgood? How do I know this? Because you have to get off your backside and go and watch them. (laughs) You know, and, yeah. um, and it was funny because when you see, if ever you saw Millwall on the telly, because we, obviously then the areas used to be divided. On, on Saturday, obviously match of the day was on. And if you see your team on match of the day, you know, because they only used to do the first division. And sometimes you might see Palace or sometimes you might see one of the sides that in, from London. And then on the Sundays, you used to have the big match and all that, which was Southern-based, Midlands-based, all these sorts of things. But to actually see your side there and think you was at the game, as a kid, it was like, oh, you know what I mean? That's the team I support. You used to be able, I used to be able, I don't know what it's like now, 
Um, but I could, we, not only me, you used to get all the scrapbooks with all the players in. There used to be football magazines, goal and things like that, that you used to, you know, look for your favourite players in. You knew the grounds, you knew the captains, you knew everything about the football club. I think nowadays, I think more people know chairman and owners than what they do players, to be honest. I I'd agree. And, you know, and I think that distracts from what you go and watch. It's the football, it's the players you pay to watch. You know, you can have the best training ground in the world. Oh, yeah, what a fact. People don't go and see your training ground. They want to see the best team you can put out, whatever level you're at. And, it, and it's all about getting your best team out there. It doesn't matter, you know, how, what or why you get them. You want your best team out. That's what you judge them, and that's what the fans judge you on. No, 100%. I mean, the thing is nowadays, there's so much kind of commercial kind of players and players get brand deals and kind of do things for them people just see them as maybe not I'll bring them in for how well they are as a player but of the brand exposure of the club and stuff like that now so it, football's changed a lot and kind of the perception of how good like why football people get into it is different to what it is now I guess well if, if you're asking you know it's always been you know people people it, it, but it sounds like I'm an old kid, like, but back in the day, it hadn't changed, you know. There was always exposure, you know. There was always this, there was always everything else. The difference being now, in my opinion, it, it, is, it's like I'm saying to you, I think that people that are watching the game, if, if you was going into football now, I'd rather be the, uh, I wouldn't mind being the uh, commercial manager at Man United. Because the money that you could earn just being a commercial manager now. And, you know, when we was growing up, you wouldn't know nothing about that side of it. You just wanted to be a player, coach, or, or that was you, you know. And all these jobs that football's created, especially at the top level, you know, we noticed it, I noticed it when I was at Bournemouth, that as we was going through the divisions, that how the money changed people. Yeah. Um, and all these sorts of things. Was it good or bad? I don't know, you know. I, I, I enjoy it. I used to enjoy the lower levels a lot better. Um, and that's no disrespect to, to what happens when you go up, but as you say, I, I think at the lower levels, the fans are, are represented a little bit more. You know, we used to go, like I say, it was like, I think it was about six minutes to get in and all that. And if you sat in a seat, caught blimey, you know, you only used to try and bunk in the stands so you could get a seat. <laughs> and, and all these things. And, and it was like little devilments, but it was all about football. You know, just come and watch the game. Come and watch the game. Try and be your best. Whereas you say now, I, I dread to think how much it would cost if you try and take your, your son, taking you know your dad and the son and a couple of kids to a game, because you're bleeding fortune. No, well, I mean, a season ticket at Derby is three thirty, I think, and that's the lowest, the cheapest one you can get. Um, yeah. So it's expensive, but I mean. As you said, and what I've noticed with like Derby going down to League One now is that they're still getting 25,000 turn up every home game. So people aren't bothered about kind of who you're playing. You can be playing anyone, but they'll still turn up because they're more passionate about the club. Whereas you see on TV places like Man City and there's loads of empty seats. So, so it shows that people care for like the local clubs. Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you know whenever we was growing up and, and you was going around places, every, every town, every 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 town, every city, whatever you want to call them, all had their clubs, and you supported that club. Yeah. And and you know I, I, I when I used to do soccer schools or when we used to do some sort of like a lot because I don't work with the Ian St John soccer schools a bit and I think I've done a bit with Bobby Charlton schools and all that over the years and you used to see the teams wherever you were in the country they used to see the teams uh, the kids I should say sorry turn up and they had the local sides on them you know yeah. you still got your Liverpool who were like a fantastic football club and you know the bigger clubs in London but you're now, and then as the years went on, you see kids was turning up in Italian clubs and Spanish clubs. And, well, we never knew nothing about these, this sort of football unless Liverpool, never forget, used to be the sportsman, uh, sports night with Coleman used to be on on a Wednesday. 
Chami Eight now, I'm sure a lot of your listeners might remember, where it's always the European games. And you watch Liverpool and Manchester, well, not so much Man United, it was mainly Liverpool then, you know, some of the great nights, Aston Villa when they won the European Cup. Yeah. Nottingham Forest when they was fantastic, in it? You know, even Derby, when Derby would play the Barcelonas and all these sorts. They were great games to watch on the telly. But it was the local people. You know, the local people used to support your local club. Um, and it's a shame now that when you see so much now, I, I might be wrong, but you see a lot of people who wouldn't even know who played for the local <laughs> club living next door to it, let alone go and watch it. That's so true. I mean, I think people just... All the bigger clubs are more commercialised and more flashy, so people are just drawn towards them and people kind of have more allegiances to players than actual clubs nowadays, so people just follow well, that player around. Well, I always used to say this to everybody, every every person I've ever come across in football, the fans will always be there. You'll always support Derby County, no matter what happens. Yeah. Because that's what you do. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you don't admire other clubs or what's going on, but when it comes to it, you're Derby County for and through. And, and that's, how, that's how a lot of it still is with, with, with the likes of Millwall, West Ham. And there's a lot of clubs that the people are born into supporting their clubs. That, that little bit of, um, as it's passed down in the generations, is still there, I think, with the commercial aspect of it all. I remember when we was in, me and we, me missus, we went over to Cape Verde. Okay. And it was the year that we got promoted at Bournemouth to the Prem and beat Charlton in the championship to go up. Um, and we're walking around Cape Verde and, and, you know, oh, good season, looking forward to the season. And, la -de -da -da. and all of a sudden, we're in this little bar and there's Bournemouth on the wall. And I'm thinking, what's going on here, Bournemouth? It was all the fixtures for the following season that they were showing live on the telly. <laughs> and you think, we started off at Bournemouth in the first division. And now all of a sudden, you're in the middle of Cape Verde and people are watching Bournemouth play. You know, the power of the TV and, and the sky and, and, and the money involved, it, it sort of like hits you then because you're going, oh, you can see why it's such a global brand, football, at the top level. Yeah. Um, and to actually get in there and get part of that deal and part of that money is massive. But you still go down to the second and the third division, uh, or the second division, I should say, and the first division, the championship and all that. There's still, you see some of the size of, the, like you say, Derby County, who, 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 you know, they've won the, the equivalent of the Premier League back in the day. You know, you see some of the sides at the lower levels. You're thinking, uh, it's just mad how the game turns sometimes. Yeah, no, it's true. And I mean, you've touched on Bournemouth there. Kind of, how was it? Is I mean, you were there six years. What was it like seeing the growth and the team change year on year and getting better and better? And of course, you were there with Eddie Howe, weren't you? So kind of seeing him develop as well as the team. How was that? Yeah, well, we we I was brought into Bournemouth by the we was I was working with the chairman there, Eddie Mitchell, who was instrumental behind the start of it all. Uh, Ed and that was at Burnley at the time and we were desperate to get them back to Bournemouth so obviously Jason as well, the assistant, Jason Tindall, we, we spoke and obviously we'd known, I'd known Jason and everybody for a few years. So we got Eddie and Jason to come back and we went in as a free. Yeah. Um, and we were, I think our first game was Tranmere and we were second from the bottom of the first division. Um, we got promoted that year to the championship, um, which was unheard of. You know, we had the Russian uh, Max who came in, who put a lot of money into it and what have you. But the first couple of years there was fantastic with Eddie and Jason, everybody. You know, we had some great times. And, and players that we brought in, you know, brought in the Cullen Wilson, the Matt Ritchie's. Um, you know, Dan Goslin and all these came in, Ryan Fraser. And, you know, to be fair, we had real, real good atmosphere. Lewis Grabham was fantastic for us. And it was a good, good place to be around. Dressing room, Tommy Elphick was the captain who was 
all these lads, Cookie, Simon Francis, that, that they deserve their chances. You know, they all had stories of rejection. Harry Arter coming at the league again. And everybody had a point to prove. And, and together, and, and Eddie, myself, Jason, we'd all been at the lower levels and it was a great opportunity to sort of like put your stamp on it and go, look at us. With the backing of the owner at the time and and, and the um, when Eddie left, Eddie Mitchell left, you know, because he, as I say, he laid the foundation for a lot of it. You look at it and you go, it's such a journey. And I don't like the word. You know when you hear all these people go, oh, it was a journey to go on. <laughs> well, from us, you know, we, we, we went there and we mean, I think it was about three years, but there we are in the Premier League. Yeah. And it was mental. Absolutely, but did you think it was going to happen? I know Ed and I know Jason. I know myself. We was determined, and Eddie was determined to get to get them. You know, as eyes and can obviously playing for Bournemouth and Jason playing for Bournemouth. Yeah, and it was everything clicked. But I'll tell you what, Jason, Ed, myself put a lot, a lot of hard work into it. You know, Eddie works his nuts off. Don't worry about that. Ed's there from seven in the morning to seven at night. He puts it, you know, he, he's hundred percent behind everything. Um, and and the same as we all was, you know, he, he set the standards for everybody to go and work, and it worked. And you know, you can see the job that you know they're doing so far. But it was just mad, and the fans coming along with it, you know, it's fantastic. But I tell you what, I tell you what, really owned to us when we did make the Premiership. I think the first game. Or the first time Bournemouth ever played Liverpool, all the fans and people that we was talked to was all looking forward to it to travel up to Anfield, and it was a Saturday, um, and so you can imagine all the fans all excited going. All well, Sky changed it to the Monday. We played on a Monday instead, and it was the first time you saw. And I said, "Well, all the fans that have never seen Bournemouth at Liverpool at Anfield." Now I had to take time off work, I had to do this, I had to do that. The whole, the whole week changed because of the day, they changed the day of the game. And I, I, I just said to the lads and that then, you know, it really shows you now you're up in the big time because your fixtures now are controlled by what Sky want to do with them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just sort of like, I wouldn't say quite a dancer on it, but if I was a Bournemouth fan thinking, I've got, I can't get time off work or I can't do this, whereas on a Saturday when games always used to be played, it would have been a great achievement, you know, great experience to go and watch your team at Anfield. And uh, it was just it was just a bit of a weird one, even us travelling up on a Monday, to, you know, to go to Anfield. But what an experience, you know, one minute you're running out at Rochdale and then a couple of years later there you are at Anfield and Old Trafford and Stamford Bridge and, you know, the Emirates and all these sort of places. What an experience for the players and, the, you know, everybody at the club. Deservedly so, by the way. No, 100%. And I mean, you've spoken of the success of that and, I mean, the efforts you three put into it. Would you say, for yourself, is that your biggest achievement in football or do you have something else you consider, like, as your personal career high or biggest achievement in the game? Yeah, no, no, listen, there was a lot of people who put a lot of work into Bournemouth, you know. I, I, I'm Eddie, Jason, everybody, you know, the lads that worked down there, the players. To me, it wasn't it wasn't the achievement that it should have been, as I said to you. It, it was great to be part of something, but you still feel a little bit alienated from it because I wasn't, you know, I should have lived down there, I think, or got more involved. No, I, I, I was proud to be part of it, put it that way, and I would never, ever underestimate what we achieved there. But for me, it, it just sort of like, maybe because I was a little bit older as well, I don't know, but, you know, when I look on it, what we achieved at Crawley, when, when I went back there the second time, was um, even the first time keeping them in the division, when Johnny Olive was there, and that, that, that was achievements because it's a bit more personal to me. Um, but no, listen, the greatest result, uh, uh, the, the one result that sticks in my mind is when we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, when Glenn Murray got the goal, because obviously it put a lot of, a lot of ghosts, because I had a lot of Chelsea mates that was always there, you know, always taking the big out of me when we was kids, because Chelsea was winning everything then with the Osgoods and the Charlie Cooks, 
But to actually go to Stamford Bridge and beat them and see them all up in the stand and there's me singing and dancing on the beach. <laughs> It, it was quite, it was quite good, put it that way. Nice, and I mean, I think I think that's nice that you still kind of crawly and kind of you getting two kind of bites of the cherry. It's nice that your like career high is one of them games, and of course beating someone of the caliber of Chelsea. Um, yeah. Of course, currently you're not coaching anyone. Um, is the, is the goal kind of when you are able to? Because I don't want to get into all of that. Um, yeah, is yeah. it is the plan to go back into coaching, or are you kind of happy and kind of feel like your job's done with football? Yeah, I, I, I miss it dramatically. Don't get me wrong. Um, for different circumstances that obviously you can't discuss, but thirty odd years being associated with. Like I say, I've been lucky to coach every colour, creed, race, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the one thing that's joined everybody together is the football. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like us talking today, you know, we're talking football and, and it's great to have experiences when you look back on it. You know, you don't want to sit here like an old man in his rocking chair at the minute, even though I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't change. That buzz, I still get the buzz. I still get the, the feeling that you want to be out, you want to do this. You know, when we, we had the lad Max Watters at, at Crawley, who was with us, who I bought in, and within three months, we'd sold him for over a million pounds to Cardiff. You know, and this was all from COVID. We beat Leeds United 3-0 in the FA Cup. We beat, um, you know, we, we observed ice, took the club the ice it could be. We had the highest percentage of uh, 15, I think we had, the, the owner was telling me Muslim players playing for us, yeah. um, Turkish players playing for us, you know, all these sorts of things. The, the, the way the game changes, but the thing that we had there was amongst us was such a great spirit that everybody wanted to win. Everybody wanted to do well. And we was just getting that. And it, it doesn't matter what what club you're at, that feeling, like I say, on match of the day with Nick Sarula, another lad that I saw in Crawley who nearly got killed in a car crash, you know, his legs and everything. And there he is, he scored a fantastic goal against Leeds. And he never, you know, he remember that for the rest of his life and his kids for the rest of their life, the supporters for the rest of, you know, it was on live on BBC TV. Them little things you can't put price on. No. You know, you can have all the money in the world. And, you know, I still argue this with people. That actual feeling of, you know, when we beat Leeds 3-0, me and Lee Bradbury and, Lewis Young and all that. They're, you know, it's little old Crawley beating Leeds. And it was such a, a, a high, such a feeling. And you're thinking to yourself, where else would you get that? What other job would you be able to achieve that in? What other job could you do this in? And that's what you miss. You miss, you, you, you know, sometimes you don't remember the days when we, we spent, I think it must have been nine months, something like that, same as the whole country did in COVID. And, you know, to come all through that, and we, it was a weird, weird time for football, for players, for everybody. And I still don't think a lot, of, a lot of players and a lot of clubs haven't recovered from that yet, COVID. I think it sent a lot of people in, in the dark places, put it that way. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I mean, you speaking of your passion of football, it just shows that hopefully you can get back into it and be able to have more years of enjoying football and being around the sport. Um, well, let's hope so. Let's hope so, because like I say to you, deep down, you're a football person. Um, and I know the world changes and we all change, but if, if you lose your passion for anything in life, the big thing you can't lose, and once again, here I am, I used to say, the players, you make the players laugh when you're sitting there like, you know, granddad sort of thing, talking and laughing and joking with everybody. But if you lose that hope, you never lose hope because, you know, we had players, I've seen players that, that have been rejected when they were kids, playing in the Premier League now. Mm-hmm. I've seen players that, that you know, like, like a Max Waters, who was told that, you know, he couldn't get a contract anywhere. He comes down to us, Max, gets sold for over a million pounds, nicks a ruler laying in hospital, didn't know whether his career was finished. He's now, you know, left wing, uh, left back at Crawley, Got a great future in front of him. Harry Ranson, who I bought in from Millwall, 
He's now captain at Crawley, bought him in at 18, and people was criticising me for it. All these little things, you've got to back your judgment. And it also, it's pleasing as a coach and as a manager. Well, it is for me anyway. You know, Tom Nichols, Tony Craig, you know, Quezzy, George Frank, and Glenn Morris, all these players that we had there. How can you put it? You've known for years, you've seen them come through as kids, enjoying their football. Yeah. You know, the enjoyment and it's not, not just winning, but the old, you know, atmosphere. And, and it was just, it, it, you can't replace it. You can't replace a dressing room. I don't think. It's the nearest you'll ever get. They talk about, you know, being in the army or whatever it is. But you, you tend to stick together and, and, and the whole idea of winning is you win for each other. No, 100%. And I mean, football nowadays, especially lower leagues, it, come across, it comes across that everyone's got each other's back and everyone is working as a team to try and push forward. Um, is, there, is there, of course, you mentioned a lot of players uh, that you kind of played with and kind of coached and managed. Uh, if, you could, if you could name like a handful, who sticks in your mind of kind of when you saw them, you were amazed with how they played. Um, well, the, the, the one, the one that sticks in mind, who, who, who shows everybody the determination, and, and anyone who's been released by a club or, or thinks that they're not doing well. When I was at Dulwich Amnet, we had a young lad who we got on loan from Tottenham um, through Patsy Holland and Theo Foley, who I, who I knew, and through our manager Blake Garland who was at Palace, uh, as you see, manager, but um, and we, had, we bought this boy in from Tottenham because we sold him a player from Dunajamley called Dave McEwen. And this lad, he was, I think he must have been about 17, 18, um, who didn't know what his career was going, didn't know what he was, you know, whether it's going backwards, forward. And there he is at Tottenham, training on the first team, and then he turns up at Dunajamley and has to play for us. Uh, but went on, to have a very, very, very successful year because he worked hard, great lad to have around the place, really, really nice person. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've, I've seen your other podcasts, so I know that it is Peter <laughs> Crouch that you're referring Peter to. Yeah. Yes. So Peter come down to us and like I say to you, you know, it's a real lad and it, was, it must have been such an eye-opener for him, you know, and our lads that we had playing with, we had some good players with us, by the way. But at the same token, Peter could have gone the other way, but he didn't. He grasped the metal and, and learned that. And it's no disrespect, you know, I don't want to spend my life at this level. I better start to get my finger out and working. And he did. And fair play to him. Look at the career he's had. Fantastic career. And, you know, you look at players like him, you then look at players. There was a young lad, uh, Remy Ote, who who had a crawling who's now been, he's now gone to Walsall, who couldn't get a club and everything last year with us and he came to us at Crawley. He's gone on and done brilliant, you know, for us. Um, and and it's, it's, not, it's not the glamour player sometimes that, you know, when you see Matt Ritchie do brilliant. Matt Ritchie, I, I see Matt Ritchie on loan at Dagenham at Redbridge from Portsmouth back in the day. And you watch Matt, Matty's career and when he was at Swindon and all that, all of a sudden we're lucky enough I was lucky enough to take him to Bournemouth. And now look at Matty, you know, he's had a fantastic career. Cullen Wilson when I signed him from Coventry. Fantastic careers. You know, and all these players, they've got the one thing, one thing they've all got in common is they work and they work and they work. And they're, you know, I wouldn't say they're in love with the game, but they love the game of football. And, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, you look at it, like I keep saying, talking in the old days, when you <laughs> had the Bobby Moores and the Frank Worthington's and the George Bests and all these people, Jimmy Greaves, you know, fantastic old scorers. You know, Stevie Perriman, who I was so lucky with to be at Exeter. You know, people forget that. We had two promotions at Exeter when I was there with Paul Tisdale. You know, we won at Wembley, we won the playoffs at Wembley. And then we got promoted the following year, Richard Logan. What a finisher he could be, you know, what a great striker he was, Richard. And, you know, lucky there, Marcus Stewart was with us at the time as well. Fantastic footballers. You know, and, and you, you, you keep going on and on and on. Every time you think, you know, you could be sitting there and you, you reminisce. But they was all hard workers. All hard and deserved everything they got out of the game. 
I mean, that just shows for anyone that's, like, wanting to pursue, like, kids nowadays, if they're wanting to pursue it, that just shows that the main thing to actually get somewhere with all the players that you've mentioned and kind of praised highly is that hard work pays off at the end of the day. Well, it does, like anything, it doesn't only have to be football, you know. You want to, if you want to be a musician, you want to be a bricklayer, you want to be a, um, an accountant, be the best that you, be the best you can be. You know, keep striving, keep challenging yourself. And as long as you're enjoying it, you must put a smile on your face. There's too many people nowadays, uh, and maybe, you know, I keep hearing about pressures of life, this, that, and the other. But football, and, and, and you know, because obviously we're talking football, you're sporting that should be a relief from all that. You know, if you're finding it all the chore doing things that, that, you know, you're enjoying with your friends and your mates and everything else. Well, you know, maybe I'm being too simplistic about it, but, you know, you look back now, it never ever beats playing. You can be coaching and managing, but enjoy it all the while you can kick a ball, go and do it, enjoy it. No, 100%. And I mean... That's, a, that's the main thing, just enjoying the sport and enjoying it for what it is at the end of the game. It is a game, isn't it? So people need well, to enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. And I think, and I think you know, if it's your livelihood, obviously you've got the pressures of working at it. But, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. How can you not enjoy playing football? How can you not enjoy going to work every day at a football club? No matter what you do. You know, I used to say this to all the Crawley boys, things I've learned over the years. Every time you come into work, whether you're, you're, the, you're the kit man, you're the cleaner, whatever you are, you're working at a football club. You're working at some things that most supporters would like to do at a football club. If you're on the media, or if, you know, become the best at it. Become the best at whatever you need to do, but you're doing it at a football club. Yeah. How else can, you know, you, I think you can tell... I, even in me, I've still got the passion and the desire to do well at it because it's in you. No, 100%. And I mean, that comes across with our conversation today. Um, I wanted to ask you this question is I'm just intrigued because, of course, you've been around the football scene for so long. Have you collected anything from the footballing world that you kind of hold as like a holy grail or like to you it's like really meaningful so it could be like someone's football shirt or a piece of memorabilia or even like a program for when you got promoted with the club is there anything that you've got kind of now that you hold dear as kind of a piece of memorabilia from your kind of career or your kind of footballing journey yeah, to be fair, my wife keeps on about that. I, I've had loads of stuff, but I'm, I'm not really one for that. Okay. I, I'd like one of the best one of the best memories I can remember, or, or stayed with me is the last time I saw Bobby Moore, and we was at Crystal Palace, and he was working for a radio station. And you know, as a kid and as a player, I, I, I you know, Bobby Moore means he was just a mensch. You know, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't. As a person, as a kid growing up, if you couldn't, as an Englishman as well, you know, supporting um, all the good things in our game at the time, it was just. A, and I see Bobby, and I got him a cup of coffee when he was doing the radio, and uh, we was chatting away, bless him, and, and he didn't look the best, but no, little things like that, you know, and, and actually being in the company of George Best and you know Frank Worthing and people like this, it's the memories that the players give you. You know, you've, you've got Stevie Perriman when he was at Exit, and you've got Steve who used to, used to go and watch at Tottenham sometimes. And there you are talking football stories with him. You know, Steve's got some great stories on his time at Tottenham. People like Pax Holland, Paxi Holland at West Ham, who's scouting and that, and that still, you know, great football knowledge and stories they tell. And it's not, it's not all, it's about the game, you know, the games that learn and the games that teach her. You know, you can all have different, and we all go through phases. I, I remember times in England, one minute we're playing like the Germans, and then we're playing like the Spanish, and then let's all play like the Italians. And I used to keep saying, but let's just play like the English, you know. And I think we've lost that identity a little bit now, because I couldn't tell you what the England side or an English player is now. You know, it used to be you knew you was going to get a game out of an Englishman. You knew you had to be on your game. You knew you were going to try them. 
yeah, we've got all these things and we've got some great young English players and players going around. It doesn't change. It's just the expressions change sometimes. You know, hard press, always hard pressing midfielder. Oh, back in our day, you mean what you mean to say is he works his nuts off. <laughs> you know, it doesn't change the terminology, right? But the fans see that. Most fans, if they see somebody at any club, at any level, working and having a go for you, they'll back you all day long. No, hundred percent. And I mean, um, the main thing is, is that you've got their memories and they're kind of, even though you don't have physical memorabilia, you've got kind of personal and mental things that you'll always cherish. So that's sometimes oh, more meaningful than physical, isn't it? Massively. I've got I've got football that we beat Leeds with. Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, in, because that was special beating them three 0 and it should have been 4-0. And there was even a game we played in that cup run at Crawley where we beat Torquay 6-5. And to BBC and people, I often get people phoning me and saying it was a great, one of the greatest FA Cup games that they'd seen. It doesn't get shown a lot because obviously it was during the COVID. It was obviously on the BBC. But it, it was such a game. You know, we was two goals down. We was 3-1 down, I think, and then we was 5-4 down with five minutes to go. Or we was in injury time, and we win 6-5, you know, it was two-in and throwing all the time. Because once again, Torquay, good football people down there, Gary Johnson, Peter Johnson, Gary's brother, you know, one of the hard, hardest working scouts you ever come across, and hardly working football people. That's why they stay in the game, because they're hard workers, same as Patsy Island and but they do it for a lot of it. They do it because they love the game of football. You know, it doesn't get hard if you might. We all know and grow, don't get me wrong, because we're all miserable kids. But you, you look at it, and like I say to you, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, in the world. If, if you can earn your living out of a football, out of doing football, you, you're lucky. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, that's it. People sometimes don't realise how kind of hard it is to get into sports. So... For you to have a kind of career, both coaching, managerial and player-wise, it's good to have, isn't it? So, mm. um, It's been good. No, good. Um, just to kind of round up, um, what is your kind of favourite player of all time? So you could have played with them, you could have just watched them play. Who, who would you say is your favourite player of all time? Well, the, the best player I've ever seen, and like I've said before, and, and I've had the chance to be trained once, was Johan Cruyff, without a shadow of doubt in my book. Um, such a you know, nice man when you met him, but what a player. You know, I used to, and, and once again, reflects back to Malcolm Allison. I remember Malcolm Allison loved his Dutch football. You know, the Johnny Reps and the Willie van der Kerkhoffs of the Dutch side, 74, 78. I used to wind all the players up, you know, 74, 78. Best, best footballing teams I've seen, the, the Dutch sides are there. Then you've got the likes of your Georgie Best and the Jimmy Greaves and the Frank Worthingtons, um, Bobby Moore. You know, every, every club had someone, as I said, your Derby. You know, I remember when uh, Roger Davis and all that was playing for him. Everyone had a, every team then had a player that you pay money to watch. Yeah. And the only way that you could see whether these was players, you know, Chelsea, as I said to you, I've got, because everybody I knew supported Chelsea and it was a bit of a standard joke for me, but what team they had in the 70s, you know, with the likes of Peter Osgood, Charlie Cooks and Johnny Boyle and Alan Hudson and Johnny Ollins, and, you know, might not mean a lot to your generation, but you go and see them and their day, mate. And Leeds, look at the great Leeds sides and the Liverpool side. You know, unbelievable. I was lucky enough, or lucky enough, we used to go and watch 10 teams play. Newcastle's, you know, even back to the, you know, Malcolm McDonald days and, and all these things. It was, football was, football was, I think it was, I know it's a different era and different, but you could associate with the players a lot more, I think, them days than you can now. No, 100%. And I mean, it's nice that you've, been able to say for example the best player you've watched you've been able to train with him so that's nice and some another memory of course to add to your collection of what you've been able to do which most people can't and i mean 
wouldn't be able to, unfortunately, with Johan Cruyff's case now. And, of course, moments like with Bobby Moore and George Best, like, people yeah, can yeah. only just watch a screen now. So, I mean, they're... Well, it's weird. It's weird when, people, when you do watch things and, and, you know, you talk to the older players and that now, and sometimes you go to games and you see players that are obviously getting old and you think, fucking hell, I used to look at him. What a great player he was in his day. What a player, you know... And, and it's funny what you remember. You're, sometimes you only remember the good things, obviously. But with football and sport, you, the pleasure that certain players have given you over the years, like by scoring a winning goal or, or a goalkeeper saving a penalty, and then all of a sudden you get to see them or you talk to them and you realise that they could be you. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying with the kids and that now. You know, Ashmir Bekovic, you know, the goalkeeper that was in Chelsea, we had him at... Uh, Bournemouth, you know, what a lovely man. He does a lot, you know, with his foundation stuff and everything. He, he, you can aspire to be these people. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I get excited now. I look at some of the players that, in the England team, you know, your Grealishes and, and all that. And then you look at Tyrone Mings, who was with us at Bournemouth, and uh, uh, Cullen Wilson, who was with us at Bournemouth, and all these things. And you're thinking... You've been lucky enough to know these people. You know, Jack Wilkshire's a great football people. They're the next generation, but people should be aspired to, you know, become them and work as hard as them, and who knows where it takes you. No, 100%. I mean, it's been brilliant to kind of get your insight and get your kind of journeys. I mean, as you can see online, of course, not a lot is documented about, of course, your footballing careers so it's kind of nice that the people are going to be able to have an audio format to actually be able to hear everything that you've done footballing was which is nice oh, it's, yeah it's just a touch of it as well you know you even talk to you you could waffle for hours that you'll be asleep within a minute every, <laughs> every, every, every game every game i used to, you know there's games when you get beat and there's players that you have arguments with and there's players that but 99% of it is all for one thing, and that's to win games of football. Um, and, and to be your best, try and be your best. Sometimes you have to sit back and just admire. You know, at Bournemouth, when we first you know, we, we first played Man City at top, and to be fair, you just have to sit back sometimes and look at these players that they're playing, and you just sit back and go, crop blimey. You know, that, that was brilliant. That was good, you know. This is different class, and you've got to learn from that. You've got to try and aspire to be like that. But if you look at the other one, going, "Oh, they're lucky. This one's lucky. That one's lucky." But listen, we all have a moan up and have a grown up about referees and things like that. That's just part and parcel of the game, I feel, because you're everyone's looking for someone to blame. But when you actually come up against the side that you, you know, I used to watch the Liverpool side in the seventies and that. And, and, you, you know, when they used to come to Palace and place and they're not play, you're off the park, and you just, you know, sit there, you know, they're just different class to us. But you learn from that, why are they different class? Because they, do they work harder, do they train harder? Can you become like that? You know, you look at Kevin Keegan and Ray Clements, and, you know, I doubt if they mean a lot to you, but Kevin Keegan, one of the great, you know, all-time players of England, and Ray Clements, bless him, goalkeeper, fantastic. They all come from the lower division, started in the lower divisions. Ian Rush started in the lower divisions. You know, so there's always the opportunity. You never know. All I say to anyone out who's aspiring to be a player or anything, you never know who's watching you. So whenever you play or train, do it your best way. You never, ever know who's watching you. No, 100%. I mean, there's still players nowadays that, of course, are coming through the leagues and getting that chance. Yes. So, I mean... It still shows that it was happening back then and it's still happening now. So, of course... Massively, massively. You've got... To, totally agree. So, it's just taking your chances, as you said, and, of course, training as hard as you can. Yeah, yeah. Always be your best. It's like you doing your podcasts and everything. You know, these weren't about in the back in the day, but the more that you interest and, and all of a sudden you learn all the different things you want to do right or do wrong, but you're learning all the time, good and bad. No, 100%. Done this, you know, and, and all the while, and, and that's what the, the whole of the football world used to be like. You know, you all, you all used to try and get along with one another and help one another. 
because you, you all got the same aim. You all want to be the best and do the best of what you're doing. Because if you're doing well and I'm doing well, you know what? Together we're both doing well. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, 100%. It is about, of course, people just helping people out. And it's all on kindness, isn't it? With any job or any career people try and get to a course, you can't, you can't succeed at it if people aren't willing to kind of help, to help you. And no, I totally agree. Totally agree. Don't hold grudges. You know, you spend a lot of your time wasting your time worrying about things. Listen, you can't influence the past, mate. You can only influence your future, hopefully. No, 100%. And I think that's a good, good kind of motto to go off. So I really like that. And I mean, yeah, people should do take note of that so but I, I think that's a nice note to end on if you'd agree yeah no problem no, no, anytime no but anytime 100% I mean hopefully when when you get another job it'd be nice to talk to you again and see how you're doing with them and kind of your, your second half shall we say your story in the football world hopefully yeah yeah, well, it might all be out in my book if I do one soon. Who oh, knows? perfect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing no the story. No problem at all. A lot of people, of course, will get to hear them stories and be able to reminisce of kind of yeah. football years gone by. So it's a great pleasure to have you on. No problem. Keep in touch. Oh, and, uh... 100%. I will do. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you. Want to know what's happening within Derby's black community? Or perhaps you have a story of your own to share? Then look no further than Majatu, your one-stop source for local African and Caribbean news. With our digital news platform and quarterly print magazine, keep up to date on all of the latest in arts, entertainment, food, sports and more. Find us online at mojatu.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of... Speaking to Success podcast. If you enjoyed, please make sure you follow us on Spotify as well as Instagram, where you can see all the updates of who is coming up, as well as who has already been on the podcast, as well as Twitter, where there is information and interaction from me on there as well. Thank you.